the people that are here, and I know each of you, and pretty well some of your background, so I'm going to change a little bit on some things. And we'll do that during the uh, course of time with these lessons. What I'd like to do to you, do hopefully, is convince you that of the importance of this subject, thanks Michael, that I don't believe in our society today that from a Christian standpoint there's anything more important that you can talk about than the area of Christian evidences. And we can uh, act like, in fact, it's in, what is interesting to me is how many times when I talk to people who have been reared in the church and seem to have no real interest in it, and yet when I talk with them, I can tell they have real, no real understanding of what's going on and many times actually hurt the Bible and the very cause that they propose to believe by some of the statements that they make. We live in a society that is being controlled and dominated by people who simply don't believe in the inspiration of the Bible and who at best agnostic about God. And we live at a time where even in the church that I think you can talk to Danny and he and I have talked on this and any number of ministers. And although they don't say it in the pulpit and they honestly believe that a big percentage of, of Christians within the church are cultural Christians that they have a faith that they've inherited, but the reason for the, the apathy, the lack of zeal, the lack of discipleship and all, it comes about because it, there is no real deep belief founded on their own proof of the, of the things that they believe. These books, uh, I'm going to start with, came out of the library at uh, Swiss Moral School, at K-8 School. Uh, one of the things I did was work with the librarians. I screened the books. I would, would gleam all the various books, especially of this nature, that came through. And I'm familiar with the type of things that are in the school libraries. And so this is just not an isolated sample. This is what is there. And also in the textbook. This one here is by Isaac Asimov, Our Human Roots. Okay, it's... Uh, written on about uh, a fourth grade level, fourth, fifth grade level. And the first statement uh, I'll read here, he says, after that, scientists were convinced that the earth was very old. And they decided that the biblical story of creation could not be right. That meant perhaps that human beings were in existence long before 4004 BC. Notice, first of all, the Bible is given credit for teaching that the earth was here only going back 4004 BC. Of course, we know that's, that's not so. The Bible doesn't teach that. There have been uh, theories postulated by human beings of that nature. The Bible really doesn't teach uh, when the beginning was. It just simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so they take a statement by a fellow by the name of Bishop Usher, that really has been totally discredited. I don't really know anybody that believes it right now. The, the reasoning behind the statement was faulty. And they take an interpretation, let it represent the Bible, and then the child reads it, and by the way, this part of what they're saying, they can prove. You can prove dogmatically, no ifs, ands, or buts, that this earth has been here for longer than any 6,000 years. 
All right, then it said they decided, though, that the biblical story of creation could not be right. And notice the statement, scientists regularly, when they're talking about what they believe, they use the term scientist. They don't say some scientist. They simply say scientist. And what's planted in the mind of that child is all the scientists out here believe that the story of creation uh, in the Bible is wrong. It's inaccurate, and, and they can prove it's inaccurate. Okay, then you continue on, and we have this statement. Could it be then that human beings did come into existence looking exactly like human beings uh, as the Bible says? Notice he, he's not backward at all about his attack on the Bible. Perhaps it was only the dates that were wrong. Perhaps Adam and Eve were created 50,000 years ago, or not 6,000. And before that, there were no human beings at all. You know, perhaps, you know, that's the case. One person who thought differently was an English naturalist, Charles Robert Darwin. So after that quick statement uh, about this absurdity of the Bible, then you get pages of reasoning uh, showing why Darwin was, was right. Then at the very end of the book, you have this picture here. Let me walk over here and see the little lake down at the bottom of the land again. Some of you have seen that. Okay. And then, of course, the child sees that story. Now, I know, and so do you, if you've uh, read this, that the guy on the end that looks like a man is a man. And the guys on the other end that look like apes are apes. And the guys in the middle are out of this guy's imagination. And that what they do is take a, a few bones, so more, sometimes no more than a jawbone, and they construct an image that's in keeping with their theory. In other words, see, they are postulating in their mind that organic evolution is true. And so you get man over here, and you get ape over here, and you get a few apes and a few men, and then you just fill in the middle. And that's exactly what they do. So if you ask them to prove their point, they can prove the first few men. They can prove those apes. It's the guy in between that they have the problem with, but yet this is what the child reads, and there's nothing here even about theories or anything. It's just a statement of fact, and keep in mind, you're talking about fourth and, and fifth grade children. Okay, then, keep in mind also, as you look at that, that today, even in Kingston, 50% of the children that are reading this kind of thing and all do not go to church anywhere. That's 50%. And then of those who go to church, how many of them really don't go to Bible class? You know, they, they go to the, the sermon and that's it. But 50% of the kids that read this and they get a steady diet do, simply do not go to church anywhere. Okay, here's, a, I've got the entire series on this. And I purchased it because I got a good price on it. It was just like what we had at school. So I purchased it just as a sample. The children's picture, prehistory, prehistory dinosaurs. Okay, you get over here and you start to read. And it says, the way animals slowly change is called evolution. This is explained on page 13. Okay. The first creatures to survive on land were fish with lungs and strong fins, and over the next few million years, they slowly changed and became more suited to living on the land. Their fins became legs, which were strong enough and their walk for walking, and their lungs grew bigger. 
About 280 million years ago, the weather changed again. It became very hot and dry. The swamp slowly dried up, and most of the amphibians died. Now, a new kind of animal evolved. It had thick, scaly skin, laid eggs, which were protected by a leathery shell. This type of animal is called a reptile. Parts of some of the reptiles' bodies were like mammals, and these are called mammal-like reptiles. Not like seeing for And then, at the same time as dinosaurs lived, there were huge creatures living in the sea, and they evolved from reptiles, which lived on the land 280 million years ago. Over millions of years, their bodies became smooth and streamlined to suit their life, and the suit life in the sea, and their legs became flippers. All the birds which now live are descended from the dinosaurs. Notice, he doesn't even say maybe, or I think so, or we feel, or probably, it's just there. Okay, we <clears throat> continue on to prehistoric mammals. Animals which have fur on hair give birth to babies are called mammals. First mammals lived about 200 million years ago, long before there was any people on the earth. Very slowly, over millions of years, the early mammals developed and changed and became the mammals we know today. The earth is thousands of millions of years old. The first life began to grow about 3,000 million years ago in the sea. As millions of years went by, fish developed and then land animals called amphibians, which could live on land and in the water, and land living animals which laid eggs and had scaly skins developed from amphibians, and these were the reptiles. Some of them became great dinosaurs, others slowly changed, became mammals. Uh, dinosaurs first lived, etc. And they've got pictures of all of this now, all the way through. Okay, now the next one is early man, the story of the first earth people. Okay. Animals change very slowly over millions of years and become quite different. This is called evolution. We know about evolution because the remains of prehistoric animals have been found buried in the rocks. These remains are called fossils. People who study fossils and find out about prehistoric animals are called paleontologists. Uh, they have found very few fossils of man's early ancestors, but they think that prehistoric primates, Ramapithecus, were our direct ancestors. Okay, about three million years ago, creatures we called hominids we're living in the grassy plains of Africa. Okay, it continues on and talks about the very slow, gradual change. And finally, we have man. Every five years, most school systems change their textbooks. They'll get all new history books and all new social studies and all new science. And so that means in the 16 years that I was in the system I was in, I was on three textbook committees that pick science, that each time they pick science, I asked to be on the textbook committee. And I was also on the textbook committee that picked uh, uh, social studies books. Without exception, when you're on a textbook committee, uh, those of you that uh, teach uh, are aware of this passage, been on the textbook committees, and you know they mail you books from all over. These companies just saturate you with books, and you're supposed to glean them and then you get together with other teachers, and then you get together with salesmen. Of all the textbooks that I looked at in science, and this is the whole thing through high school, I would, be, I would have a particular segment I was dealing with, but because of my interest in this area, I went through the whole shebang, and I was involved with all the various committees on this. 
Never one single solitary time did I run into a textbook but that it taught organic evolution as an absolute fact from beginning to end. Uh, the word creation is not even mentioned. It's not even an alternate theory. You would never even gather that anybody with any sense whatsoever uh, even believes in God. And this is all, all the way through the system. In the social studies books, you wouldn't notice it unless you know differently. And that is that when you read about these characters like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and some of these other people that were famous in history, the people that helped to put our Constitution together and things like that. Those of us that know their history know that they were very religious. And they had strong convictions about God. And when you read their writings, they are full of quotes from the Bible. Lincoln's thinking was molded by the Bible. It was, it was the number one influence in his life. Uh, you can read the speeches on the a rock in Washington where, he, where they got his statue and all. But you're not going to read that stuff in the, in the textbooks. You might have an occasional speech or part of one, but there will be no mention of how religious that these people were. And the fact that he was the motivating force in their life, and that before Washington, for example, went to battle, that he would pray to God. And, and that he believed very strongly in the providence of God, and that these people had real strong statements about the morality that came from the Bible. Uh, even some that were not Christians, that were deists, did not believe that a society could exist unless it was founded on strong moral principles. And that's why that even the deists that were not Christians wanted the Bible taught. They thought the morality uh, was good for the country as a whole. So. That's our background. That's what's going on in the system. And now you ask yourself the question, in a country where 80% of the population believe in Jesus, 95 plus percent claim believe in God, how can you now come to a situation where it is absolutely against the law to teach creation as a theory in the public school system? I'm not saying teach Genesis. I'm saying it is against the law to teach creation as a theory. That you cannot even say, uh, let's do the two model approach. Let's present the evidence for this and the evidence for this over here. You cannot. It's against the law. Uh, John Clayton, for any of you to take his brochure in the latest issue, uh, made mention of a professor who has a doctor's degree in chemistry, and I'm trying to think of the university, and I cannot. But anyway, he was fired. He got his job back, but he was fired. And what his great sin was is that uh, in his class, he told the students that he no longer believed the theory of evolution. He had in the past, and that he no longer believed it, and that he, had, that he was not going to teach Genesis or God or anything like that, but he really believed that they ought to examine both sides of the story. They ought to examine the evidence for evolution and they ought to examine the evidence the other way. That got him fired. The reason for his being fired was that, that the fact that he brought religion in the classroom was unscientific. Uh, and, and that was not, he was not talking about bringing God in, in the, in the biblical sense. Uh, he was just simply saying, look at the evidence uh, both ways. Well then, how does that happen? Think about it. In our society, where the dom domination is by, in thinking, is by those who believe in God and believe in the Bible, how do we reach 
that. Now, I could go on and on, and I could show you all kinds of stats of uh, moral things that are going on, uh, going back to these concepts. And by the way, how do you have morality if you're coming at life from an atheist point of view? You, you can't really. Even, the, even though your, your conscience and the things you can figure out may cause you to see things and, and that are right and wrong and all, that you're not accountable. It's like putting stop signs and uh, speed limits out there and, and then doing away with your policeman. You know, don't bother. You know, if, you, if you're not going to have... And that's what happens when you try to have morality uh, without God. And so we need, I think, to know and Christians need to know and understand. And I'm not talking about going down to the school and people being ugly or, or anything of that nature. But when your child comes home, that, that you know how to pick those books up and go through them and explain and that you have an understanding of the theory of evolution. For example, some Christians just say evolution is false. Well, that's not so. Evolution is true, in a sense. Uh, and we're going to look at a few things on that. There's a vertical evolution proceeding from one cell of life all the way up to man has absolutely not one shred of evidence behind it. And, and you, can, you can demonstrate and show that, that that is false. I mean, it's not worthy of even being a theory. They can call it a hypothesis. But horizontal evolution is true. There is evolution and adaptation uh, from within uh, families of animals. And we have different dogs now than we had some years back. We've got different kinds of cats. Uh, we've got all kinds of animals that didn't exist some years back. Uh, obviously, we got, we've got at least three races of people. So there is change. Well, what they do, and it's very easy to show this to a child all the way through school, all of the evidence that they give will always be horizontal evolution, but then their proof statement will be vertical. And so they'll, they'll give some things, like you've got four or five horses here, and we see this little fellow and the big one up here, but the point is, it's, they're still horses. Or we've got some apes here, and we've got some men here, but they're still men, and they're still apes, and you can get to these fellows in between and show that, that you can, they're either apes or men, and that the drawings are, are not there. The drawings are out of the head of these people, based on their thinking on that type of thing. But we at least, I think, need to have a basic understanding so that we can sit down with that. And then by the same token that when we talk about the Bible, we need to be able to say why we believe uh, it's inspired of God. And when we talk about God, why we believe uh, that God exists. Uh, Mark, would you throw up these? Uh, this is real quick uh, from last week, because several of you that were not here and so just a real quick thing of some things we noticed uh, last week. When we talk about evidence, we're talking about something that makes another thing evident. Uh, evident is easy to see or perceive, okay? Anything that makes something else evident is evidence, okay? Juries go through this all the time. They evaluate evidence, and then based on the evidence, they come to a conclusion. Okay, we know that you could not go to a jury and wipe out four-fifths of their evidence, or 40%, or 60%, and 
and then uh, expect them to convict the individual. We know that they need evidence to the extent that, in fact, any of you ever sat on a jury on a criminal case and then a civil case? Somebody will tell me, what's the difference between evidence for a criminal case and in a civil case? Okay, that's exactly right. In a criminal case, the evidence has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. In a civil case, it's just the preponderance of evidence. And so in a civil case, the judge will make the decision where the preponderance of evidence lies. Uh, so in other words, it's not as concrete. And we know it's not. But even there, we will make a decision. And we will affect millions and millions of dollars on the preponderance of evidence. I'm saying that, that evidence is not something nebulous. Uh, it's, nothing, it's not something that, that is wrong to deal with. But in a criminal case, we say beyond a reasonable doubt. In other words, we believe that evidence can accumulate so it can be so persuasive that you have no doubt in your mind. You just, you're convinced. In other words, uh, you can look at what's happening with O.J. Simpson right now, and each side is gathering their evidence. And some people are one way, some are the other, some haven't made up their mind yet. Well, they will have to be able to prove that. In other words, they may let the man go, and you and I believe he's, might believe that he's uh, guilty, but unless the evidence is conclusive, beyond a reasonable doubt, they will let him go. And by the way, I'm for that. I don't believe in a criminal case. Well, when it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, Think of what the Bible asks of you as a Christian. Is just the preponderance of evidence, do you really believe that is sufficient? Think of the statements. Lose your life in order to, to gain it. Be thou faithful unto death. And in the context that's given, he's not talking about being faithful when you, up until you die and you're 70 or whatever like that. He's talking to people that have their life on their line and they're being killed for their faith. And he said, be thou faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. In other words, you hang in there even if they kill you. And so your own life, he said, give it all up because of this. I don't believe that you can expect that kind of faith unless you have evidence beyond any doubt. I would find it very difficult to believe in God or in the inspiration of the Bible with those kind of demands that it has, that I'd be willing to give up everything and literally die for this unless I found some pretty persuasive evidence. In other words, if it's inspired by God or if God exists, I would expect to find some very persuasive evidence. Okay, Mark. The claim of the theist is that the evidence makes the existence of God evident. But it is a step of faith. It's faith because he hasn't seen it with his own eyes. And anything you have not experienced with your own senses is a matter of faith. That don't mean that it's not so. It's just something you did not experience with your own senses, and therefore you're making your conclusion based on evidence. The claim of the Bible believer is that evidence makes the inspiration of the Bible evident. The claim of the Christian is that about the resurrection. What the atheist is saying is that the evidences make it evident that there is no God. The theist and the atheist, one is true, what is the evidence?
Is there another alternative? You're either a theist or an agnostic sits here and simply straddles the fence and he says, I don't know. But he still knows something. He knows one of them has to be true. And so either there is God or there is not God. In other words, I'm saying when it comes to evidence, either there is evidence to prove this or there's not. And if there is a God, personally, I would expect there would be evidence to prove his existence, the same with the, the inspiration of the Bible and the same with the resurrection of Christ. Okay, Mark. Okay, the question we looked at next is why are we limited to the realm of evidence? Have any of you, by the way, am I the only one that thinks on this way? Have you, those of you that have been brought up in the church and you talk about God and Jesus or anything like that, uh, did you ever think about why you're limited this way? That Why don't God just speak? You know, why don't he just shake some fire down here? Why don't he just grab up some of these scoundrels that are out there uh, cursing and using his name and shake them before everybody? You ever feel that way? Uh, when you're beating your brains out studying and you're, you're wanting to make the right decision and, and you think, man, I'm giving up a lot because I really would like to do such and such. And, and you want to say, and I know Barbara said this several times on things, I wish God would just tell us, you know, that uh, rather than have to take this step out by faith like that. And so why are we? Well, number one, if there is God, obviously there has to be a reason, right? Because does God have to limit himself to the realm of evidence? He doesn't. He can make himself just as real as Gene is right over there. Okay, uh, Number one, we noted that we are finite. We're made that way. We have definable limits. Every finite person walks by faith. It's that simple. The only beings that do not walk by faith on some matters are those beings that are not finite. If you're finite, that means you have limits. Our limits is we can only see so far. We can only hear so much. We've only been here a few years. We've got all this time. And therefore, for most of everything that we are going to make a decision on, we will make it on the basis of faith. And there is no such thing as a scientist or anybody else that doesn't walk by faith. He's got a PhD in physics, chemistry, or whatever he wants to have his PhD in, he walks by faith. The question is, what does he walk by faith in? And see, that's something that we need to be able to say to science teachers. That's something we need to be able to say loud and clear in newspaper articles and we need to tell our children. The impression is that, hey, these guys are, are walking with fact, you know. And you got a Christian over here walking by faith. Science deals in facts. Well, that's right. Science goes after facts. But the scientist, while he's going after facts, walks with hypotheses and theories and, and walks through faith. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way that science works, and we uncover all kinds of good things uh, uh, using that method. The dishonest part is for anybody to leave the impression that he is walking by something other than faith, and that religious folk are these dodos over here that are walking by faith. He walks by faith, and we walk by faith. Okay, uh, Mark, the next one. Oh, you have hidden these things and yet revealed them to little children, except you become converted and become like a little child. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I used to think it was very interesting the way that Jesus was born to a carpenter and didn't have the great formal education and didn't have any wealth or any prestigious position, you know, not born to a Pharisee or a, 
uh, or anything about you, anybody that was high up in any way. Uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness? Is there any promise in the Bible for righteousness on the part of those who are not hungering and thirsting? And then uh, a type of heart that's necessary. In other words, the statement of the scriptures is that God purposely limits himself to certain types of hearts. Okay, Mark. The question of having more beliefs at all or not having them is decided by our will. If your heart does not want a world of moral reality, your head will assuredly never make you believe in one. By the way, the, uh, the man here is uh, William Russell, uh, limiting himself to evidence God gives us a choice. Do you have any choice if God's an overwhelming presence? You can, can I deny that Alba is there? I can do it. But you'll laugh at me, right? I, I, can't, I can't appear to you as intelligent and, and all and deny it. But what about somebody who wants to deny God? You can show him all the evidence you want. He can still deny it. You ever been in, a, in an argument with somebody and just laying down evidence after evidence? You know, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Well, you see, evidence is you have a, you have a choice. And so at least according to the scriptures, God has limited himself in such a way that on the one hand, I believe that we can know without any doubt in our mind. And I believe Paul felt that. He said, listen, I'm betwixt the two. I'd rather go ahead and die and be with the Lord. That's what I feel about the situation. I'm just here for what good I can do you, but I'd rather just go ahead and die. Paul believed and he was ready, he was ready to go, but he had a choice. And so I believe in limiting to evidence. The evidence can be so overwhelming so that you can know. But on the other hand, the very nature of it being evidence is that you can say if uh, O.J.'s mother wants to say, I don't believe that DNA report and I don't believe those fingerprints and I don't believe, by the way, I haven't been keeping up with that case because I heard the news. Also, he may be innocent, but now I don't know. I'm just using this as an example. But they can get all the evidence and she can say it, and she can say that, can't she? Nobody can force her, because she's, she's dealing with evidence. Okay, Mark. Okay, now, pull it up just a little bit. Thank you. Remember the books here that I went through? Isaac Asimov, by the way, Isaac Asimov is a prolific uh, writer of children's books. He's an atheist. Uh, Thomas Dewey, father of education, atheist. Uh, Sigmund Freud, the number one influence in psychiatry, atheist. Okay, so they've had some very prominent individuals. Now, here are some statements that are not in the school textbooks. I haven't found them. Yet. And they're not by Christians. These people are people who believe, they're coming from the unbelieving standpoint. There are people that have believed evolution and are still in that. The scientific magazine discovery put the situation this way. Evolution is not only under attack by fundamentalist Christians, it's also being questioned by reputable scientists. Uh, for all its acceptance in the scientific world as the great unifying principle of biology, Darwinism after a century and a quarter is in a surprising amount of trouble. Exactly how evolution happened is now a great matter of controversy among the biologists. Okay, throw up the next one. The, again, these quotes are from people that 
have believed and espoused evolution. A century after Darwin's death, we still have not the slightest, remember this is not a preacher and it's not a Christian, it's an evolutionist. A century after Darwin's death, we have not the slightest demonstrable or even plausible idea of how evolution really took place. And in recent years, this has led to an extraordinary uh, series of battles over the whole question. A state of almost open war exists among the evolutionists themselves with every kind of evolutionary sect urging some new modification. He concluded, as to how and why it really happened, we have not the slightest idea and probably never shall. You know, it's, uh, throw up another remark. Britain's new scientists observed an increasing number of scientists, most particularly a growing number of evolutionists, argue that Darwinian evolutionary theory is no genuine scientific theory at all. Keep in mind, these are evolutionists. Many of the critics have the highest intellectual credentials. Okay, to their, let's see, they have no clear-cut answer because chemists have never succeeded in producing nature's experiments on the creation of life out of non-living matter. Okay, Mark. This is talking about some things that the scientists thought they were going to develop. They said that the end result is they have developed a profound new respect for the sophistication of the human sight. The human retina is the envy of computer scientists. It's 100 million rods and cones and its layers of neurons perform at least 10 billion calculations per second. Darwin, quote from Darwin, to suppose that the eye could have been formed by evolution seems, I freely confess, absurd to the highest degree. That's just the eye. That's Charles Darwin. Okay, Mark. Millions of bones and other evidence of past life have been unearthed by scientists, and these are called fossils. If evolution were a fact, surely in all of this there should be ample evidence of one kind of living thing evolving to another kind. But Darwin's theory of evolution has always been closely linked to evidence from fossils, and probably most people assume that those fossils provide a very important part of the general argument that is made in favor of Darwinian interpretations of the history of life. Unfortunately, this is not strictly true. By the way, keep in mind, this is not a Christian, it's an evolutionist. Darwin was embarrassed by the fossil record because it didn't look the way he predicted it would. The geologic record did not then and still does not yield a finally graduated chain of slow and progressive evolution. In fact, now after more than a century of collected fossils, we have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time explained in the bulletin. Why is this the case? Because the more abundant fossil evidence available today shows that some of the examples that were once used to support evolution are now seen not to do something at all. In other words, some of these in-between characters, they wound up taking their place on one, stand, one side or the other. We just have this big gap here. In other words, when you look at animals, Starting with, uh, well, I, we could start lower, but we'll start with uh, one cell, protozoa, amoeba, paramecium. And we come up the chain, and we go from this one-celled animal to a metazoa. There's no such thing as a two-celled animal, or a three-celled animal, or a four-celled animal. We're up here to many cells, so like a sponge. So we go from the paramecium to the metazoa, and then this all the way up the chain of life, what we see is big gaps. We don't see graduation. We see something, and then we have a big gap 
between this and the next thing. Notice how casually that this book said that from the reptile came the bird and came the mammal. Well, where is this thing that's, that's not a mammal and it's not a reptile? And where is this thing that's not a reptile? It just, there was no explanation. And, and these are the people that try to mock Genesis. But there's no explanation whatsoever. They've got this great big gap. And of course, this is written to children. And, and even in college, when your children get in college, you guys, a lot of you have been in college. I've been there. That kid's taking notes as fast as he can go. He's trying to pass the test. The guy teaching the class is a, has a doctor's degree. He really doesn't have the wherewithal or the ability to challenge that person. He does all he can do to, to simply pass the course. And, and so, there's, so what this guy's doing, he's a mature adult with a doctor's degree, and he's constantly getting to teach young people. And the people that could challenge him are not there. And there are those individuals that know that theory and understand it, and they could challenge every statement he makes on behalf of it, but they're not there. They're just simply not there. See, one of the problems they're having is, you want to throw up another one, Mark? Uh, for lack of for the time, let me uh, go ahead and just cover this in a brief way here, and then I might get another one of the problems the evolutionists is having, everybody's heard, obviously, I think of the Big Bang Theory. <coughs> See what the, the evolutionists used to say when we would talk about the mathematical probabilities of a single cell of life coming into existence, or even the mathematical probabilities of, of just protein coming into existence, you know, and then developing up. And you, and you go to these fantastic numbers that just blow your mind, and then you just got to keep going and going and going, and you reach a point where it's just simply mathematically impossible. But, not to the organic evolution, he says, keep in mind, matter is eternal. Giving enough time, it has to happen. Okay? Well, number one, that's, that's always been a very weak argument. And we don't think that way with other things. But, here's what's happened. He's had two things happen to him at the same time. What the Big Bang Theory is based on is that as we look out and we look at the galaxies, we find that the galaxies are moving farther and farther apart. In other words, if you were to think of a triangle with A, B, and C, and this is a galaxy, and these two are galaxies down there, and you come back next month and you look at those galaxies, you would see that the triangle was bigger. They're getting farther and farther apart all the time. And so everything in space, we call it the expanding universe, is moving farther and farther apart. Okay, now what happens if you reverse that process and you start to go back in time? It gets closer. So it's going farther, but we reverse it. And so yesterday was closer, and the year before that was closer. And so we come on down millions of years, and what happens? We've got all matter together. And then bang, it all went out. So what has happened now, we've got a starting point. We've got a starting point. And somebody says, well, maybe that thing just keeps going off. And then it goes back and goes off again. But the problem is, every time it goes off, it's losing energy. And so you can't have infinite time. You can't have the oscillating universe because you're losing energy all the time. So the thing goes off and you come back now and 
came back to this Big Bang, the most amount of time that I've read given by the scientists is 17 billion years. In other words, they say, lay out the word is now, back where it started, 17 billion years. Okay, here's the problem. 17 billion years is not enough time for organic evolution. In other words, when you look at the mathematical probabilities of all this mess, 17 billion years is not enough time. And so they can't say, this is what, why the evolutionists are complaining. But then they're getting hit on another side. The more we study animals and plants and living organisms and atoms, what are we learning about their complexity? The more or less complex? The more we study about life, the more we study about everything, it's more and more and more complex. We don't know where it ends. How much can the atom be broken down? We don't know. It just keeps getting... When David looked out and was just amazed at what he saw, he didn't have even a fraction of the ability that you and I have with our information to appreciate the complexity but man, he had all he needed to say the heavens declare the glory of the creed, the glory of God. He was so impressive to David that he looked at himself and he said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And he made a few other statements. And then what did David, what was David's observation about somebody that could look at all of this and look at himself and say there is no God? The fool. The fool that said there is no God. That was David. Not, not hesitant, no whim. Uh, there are areas where we, we need to be tactful. We don't want to hurt people's feelings and all. But I get real disturbed when God gets raked over the coals, and the Bible gets raked over the coals, and the Lord gets raked over the coals, and we sit back with the idea that we cannot just plainly state that the evidence points so strongly in the direction we're going that you just about have to be dishonest and biased to turn away from it. And organic evolution, now the newest thing that we come up with, is going to have evolution not gradually going, but they're working on the theory that will have it going by leaps and bounds. It gets up to a certain point and then it jumps. We still don't know what makes it jump. And we got no evidence, but it gets here and then it jumps. And then it gets up there and then it jumps again. And we don't know where this is, but that's an easy way to build up. Yeah, and that's that's what they're doing. Okay, Mark, let me see the. Uh, let's see. Go to the last one, and I'll use it to sum up the last. No, the on the other section. Okay, right. I was working to hold this to a certain time frame. The evidence is for God. Uh, from the biblical standpoint, the things that are declare a creator and a matter. Uh, the biblical statement is that there is no excuse for man not seeing this. The theist, the believer in God, must prove that reasoning from the evidence demands God. Okay, Mark, next one. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hand. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. Like a champion rejoicing to run its course, it rises at one end of the heavens, 
and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What did Darwin say about old David's eyes? said, I admit it's kind of absurd to think that something like that came about by chance. Well, David thought that too. David thought it was kind of absurd that his hands or his legs or his brain or any part of him could come about and change. So he could just look at himself and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Paul, very plain, since what may not be known about God is plain to them because God has made plain to them for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so the men are without excuse. All right? One of the statements on the atheist position, next week we will look at several lines of evidence for the existence of God. And there, not horizontal, you don't prove that human beings came from that which is not human. By showing examples of four or five horses, one smaller than the other, and they're all horses, or four or five apes, or four or five men, or four or five dogs, that's horizontal evolution. We want to see this cat that's not an ape, and he's not a man. We want to see this person that you don't know whether to shake hands with him or put him in a cage. We want to see something right there in between. He's got to prove that conscience came from that which had no conscience. Man has a conscience. He has a sense of awe about him. There is no civilization in the world, in the world but that they have moral laws. Not. There is no civilization anywhere in the world that we've ever found all the way through history. Man has a sense of morality. He has a sense of right and wrong. Man has a conscience. Paul makes real dogmatic statements about the conscience of man in Romans 2 and 12 and 16. He has to prove that intelligence came from that which had no intelligence. Consciousness or awareness of the being came from that which had no consciousness. Life came from dead matter. Have they ever been able to do it in the test tube yet? They haven't. It can't be done in the test tube, but supposedly out in the Okie Pinokie swamp out here, it happened by chance. Billions of years ago, billions of years ago. Yes, proven matter is eternal. Alright? The atheist believes every gap here by faith. Okay? And even when he presents his evidence, his position will be one of faith. The question is, what does the evidence mean? We've already said one or the other has to be true. There's no other choice. Either there is no God and matter is eternal, or there is a God and what's eternal is intelligence and a creating force. And so what we'll do next week is throw up two models. And I'll let the atheist present his own argument. I give you the evidence that he gives for his position. And out of their mouths, just like we quoted the evolutionists tonight, we'll present the evidence for God and for the Bible, and we'll look at the evidence there. And then from that, we'll go answer the evidence from the atheist. And then from that, we'll give the atheist a chance to answer the evidence over here and see what he actually says about the evidence that he's confronted.